history of music. Please turn with me to the scripture reading for this morning, which can be found in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Again, that's Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And the page number for this passage is 1,200 in the Bibles that are found under your pews. Again, that's Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. It reads, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by, by law to her husband, where he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she le- lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. As we continue in the book of Romans this morning, we have been emphasizing that the book of Romans fits together in a very uh, intricate fashion, that the thoughts are building upon one another, and we have been in a section that is talking about our relationship to sin, and in particular, should we continue in our sinfulness now that we have been forgiven. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, the question was raised, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The answer was, by no means, God forbid, that we shouldn't use grace as an excuse for living unrighteous and unholy lives. Then the next question came in Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And again, the answer was, God forbid, or may it never be. The question was raised in Romans 6.15 that I just referred to. Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? And the answer came in a twofold way. In verse 16, it says, do you not know? Now, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. We looked at that section last week. Today, we look at the second answer to the question raised in verse 15, and it comes in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know? Notice how in verse 16, it's introduced with the same words. Do you not know? And now... Chapter 7, verse 1, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long 
as he lives. Romans chapter 7 is given to us to explain what it means that we are no longer under the law. In what sense, as Christians, are we not under the law of God? Last week, we saw that it had to do with being slaves to sin. This morning, we look at the legal ramifications of not being under God's law, and there is the illustration of marriage to demonstrate what that means. So as we take the question up this morning, the answer given in our text most directly speaks to what it means that we are not under the law, and indirectly it speaks to the issue that we are not to sin simply because we are no longer under the law. So we begin by asking the question, why are we no longer under law but are rather under grace? It goes back to Romans 6, 15. Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Before we had a responsibility to the law, now we have a responsibility to the grace. So what law is this referring to? Well, it's not the Roman law, nor is it speaking to us today about the laws of the United States. It's speaking of the Mosaic law, and in particularly the moral law or code of God, that we are no longer under the moral law of God. Those to whom Paul is writing are well versed in the Old Testament law. Notice in verse 1 he says, For I am speaking to those who know the law. Most likely he's referring to Jewish Christians, of which there were many in the church at Rome. He says that they are very familiar with God's law. In fact, their familiarity bred some of the uncertainty and concern about what their relationship was to the law of God now that they had placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To answer the question as to why they are no longer under the Mosaic law, Paul introduces a general principle of law. Notice at the end of verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, now these words, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. That's the general principle that Paul is going to be applying throughout this argument in the next <clears throat> five verses. That the law is binding on a person only as long as that person lives. Now an aside, we should note what our text does not say regarding being under the law. When it says that we are not under the law, it's not talking about a change in time period, such as the dispensation of law in the Old Testament and the dispensation of grace in the New Testament. It is not because of the day and age that we live that we are no longer under the law. It's not simply because of the time period that we now find ourselves in. The text does not say that the law is antiquated or been done away with in its entirety. In fact, our text states just the opposite. It teaches that the law is binding on a person 
as long as a person lives. Note the end of verse 1. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Notice the present tense. The law is abiding in verse 1. It doesn't say the law was abiding on a person as long as he lives. He's not talking about some historical reference to the Old Testament. He's speaking of the issue of the day, and it's still pertinent to us today, all right? The law has not just simply been done away with, but our relationship to the law has changed. What is the basis of that change? Remember the general principle, verse 1, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now Paul uses an illustration of marriage to demonstrate his point that death frees an individual from the demands of the law. So let's look at this illustration in some detail. Romans chapter 7 verse 2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. To illustrate the relationship that we have to the law and how that law is binding as long as a person lives, he uses the illustration of marriage. In marriage, a woman is bound by the law to her husband. And we think about the vows that one takes before God. Verse 2, she's bound by law to her husband while he lives. Think of these marital vows. And the marital vows are until death do us part. Up until that time, one is binding. Those vows are in effect. But once one of those partners dies, those vows are no longer in effect. However, if her husband dies, she is no longer bound to the laws of that marriage. Notice the end of verse 2. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. All the legal requirements that marriage uh, contains ceases when a spouse dies. That's true even in our law. Paul then goes on and explains the point of his illustration. And that is the freedom from the law that death brings. And he makes two points. First, having been freed from the law, and we're looking specifically now at the illustration of the wedding vows, to be free from the law, the woman is freed from condemnation that would normally result from the law or those vows. Now look at verse 3. While the husband is alive, she must be faithful to her husband or she has committed adultery. Notice verse 3. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. All right? So the law brings condemnation. The vows have been broken. There is guilt. But if her husband dies, she is free from her marital vows and can marry another. Notice verse 3. 
But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and she marries another. But not only is she free, but also she is free to remarry and to remarry without condemnation. Notice the end of verse 3. And if she marries another, she's not an adulteress. So the law brought condemnation. If she broke the law, she was an adulteress. But being free from the law, being free from the obligations, now no longer condemned by those obligations, no longer condemned by those vows, no longer condemned by those laws, and she is not an adulteress. So the analogy applied. First, we died to the jurisdiction or the authority of the law of God and its condemnation when we were united to Christ's death. Notice verse 4, likewise. All right. So here's the, here is the application. Here's the simile. Here's the comparison of what was just said about marriage and the law to our relationship to the law of God. Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. Uh, back to Romans chapter 6, when Christ died, as a result of the Spirit of God, we died with him. So we died in relationship to the law. When a person dies, they are free from the law. The law no longer has any authority over them. The law no longer brings condemnation. The whole point of this passage is that as believers in Lord Jesus Christ, there is now no condemnation. That's where we're going to head up to. And then it said specifically in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's leading us up to this aspect. There's no condemnation. We're not held accountable to the law any longer. Because we have died to the law through the body of Christ. Secondly, we were made dead to the law so that we could be married to another. Notice verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you belong to another. Just as when a spouse dies, the partner is free to remarry, we died to the law, which meant that we were free to remarry. There was now another entity to whom we are responsible to. Now there is a, another entity that we have uh, relate, entered into a relationship with. We, are, we belong to another. The one to whom we are now married or belong to is Christ. Notice verse 4. So she may be married to another. Now it tells us who that is, to him who has been raised from the dead. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are no longer married to the law, but now we're married to Christ in this illustration. And we are married to Christ so that we live righteously and faithfully to him. Notice the end of verse 4. In order that 
we may bear fruit for God. So the reason that we have been brought into this new relationship to Christ is so that we can bear fruit for God. And the fruit in the context is righteousness. We might live holy, righteous, faithful lives. Which brings us then to a lesson on faithfulness. Faithfulness. While we were married to the law, as it were, we were unfaithful to the law. Notice verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, that is, before we had died to the law through being united with Christ's death and resurrection, before we were saved, in other words, while we were alive in the flesh, It says that our sinful desires were stirred up. It says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. Now, what does that mean? Again, just keeping with the analogy of marriage, uh, for that is the most helpful analogy in this, in this passage, as we think about a marriage and as we think about unfaithfulness within a marriage, it's talking about sinful passions. And the whole thought here is that when we were married to the law, we were unfaithful. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were all unfaithful to the law. We, we all broke our vows, as it were. We all had committed sin as a result of these sinful passions. We didn't want the law to rule over us. We didn't want to be submissive to God's commandments. We all had gone our own way. We had not wanted to be under his authority. The law told us how we were to live. It pointed out our duties and obligations and responsibilities. And so it tells us in verse 5 that while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, meaning that the law stirred this up. The, the law just fanned those sinful desires and ambitions. It created within us, well, not actually create for it was within us, it stirred up, it brought to the surface our rebelliousness, our rebelliousness. The more we heard about God's commands, the more rebellious we became. We saw that last week, where lawlessness led to more unlawlessness and where righteousness leads to more righteousness. But these sinful passions were aroused by the law. Still employing the illustration of marriage. All right? Think with me for a moment. In a marriage. Where you have an unfaithful spouse. And that unfaithful spouse is not wanting to remain in that marriage. They, they don't want to be fulfilling those marital duties and obligations. 
So what happens? Well, they are told that you must remain in that marriage. You must remain in that situation. You are under authority. You have made vows. You have made commitments. You have made promises. It's your duty to be in this marriage. Well, when a person is in that mindset of wanting to be out from the authority of that marriage, and when these sinful desires have been stirred up and they don't want anything to do with that marriage, the more you talk about the vows, the more you talk about the commitments that they have made, the more angry they become. The more obstinate they become. They don't want to hear about these vows. They don't want to hear about these commitments. They don't want to hear about what their duty and responsibility is. They just want out. So the vows stir up these sinful reactions. The passage is not about marriage. It's about the law. And it's saying that that's what the law does. When the law tells us you shall not lie, and when we're confronted with the fact that we are a liar, it just makes us more angry. It just makes us more rebellious. It, it just gets people more upset. And so it stirs up. The law does. Then it says in verse 5, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. <clears throat> these vows, these commandments, these rules, these laws are not able to change a person's heart. They are not able to bring about repentance. They cannot create love where love does not exist. The vows can only condemn. The vows can only point out shortcomings. The vows can only demonstrate failure. But they can't create love. They can't create the commitment that you would want to go along with those vows. And so it says in verse uh, five that it results in death. However, we have been set free from the loveless, destructive relationship to the law and sin and have been married to Christ. We are free from our obligations to the law with its condemnation, verse six. But now we are dead from the law, all right? We're out from that marriage, as it were. No longer responsible to the law. We're free because we have died. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. That law, again, using the illustration of marriage, that loveless marriage, we were captive in that situation. We were, we were there bound but didn't want to be. And so we were in this situation of which we wanted to desperately be free, but, but we were held captive to, we were bound, we were chained, as it were, to this relationship. I often tell uh, couples when I do premarital counseling with them that, that love, uh, excuse me, that marriage is a life commitment, but it's not a life sentence. And 
here, it's a life sentence. That we are committed, we're captive, we're imprisoned to this relationship, which is the law. But now, we view our marriage to Christ, our relationship to him, in an entirely different way than our relationship to the law. We are released from our old marriage to the law, verse 6, but now we're released from the law, having died with Christ, we're no longer obligated to our old marriage with, that, with the law. And now we are not in bondage to that marriage to which held us captive. And now the relationship that we have to Christ is a different marital relationship than that which we had to the law. It isn't that there aren't obligations. It isn't there aren't responsibilities. It isn't that there are duties. But the relationship is quite different. And the difference is a result of the Holy Spirit. For notice verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Now there's a whole new relationship. (laughs) This new marriage is extremely different from the old marriage. The marriage to Christ is so different than the marriage to the, to the law. For notice at the end of verse 6, it says, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The old way of the written code, meaning just this external law. Uh, God talks about a time in the Old Testament uh, he talks about the law being written upon the stones. It was external. It was written on the stones. And God says that there's going to come a time and he's going to write the law upon our hearts. And there's going to become now not just an external aspect of responsibility and duty, but an internal love that's going to be created so that we want to serve God, so that we want to be in this relationship, so that we want to demonstrate this faithfulness, not because we have to, but because we want to. Not because someone is saying you must, because we are offering ourselves. We are presenting ourselves. We're saying, this is what I want. What a wonderful spouse that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. What wonderful relationship that we've been brought into in this new marriage of grace as opposed to law. And so now we want to be faithful in this new marriage. Now we want to please our spouse. Now we want to be with that spouse. And we don't want to do anything that would harm or hurt that relationship as a result of the Holy Spirit doing a work in our hearts. No longer are we just in this relationship because of vows, but now we're in this relationship because we want to be in that relationship. So the whole spirit has changed. The whole attitude has changed. The whole desire has changed. It's talking about what it means to be under law, uh, under 
grace and not under law. And why we don't continue in sin as a result of not being under law. It's not because of condemnation that we fear. It's because of this new love that we have for Christ. But remember, this passage is not about marriage per se. All right? That's not the point. It's just, marriage is just illustrative. It's not about marriage. Uh, we shouldn't go here for all of our teaching about marriage, etc. It's not about marriage. It's about our relationship to the law first and to Christ secondly. And in that relationship, the point to keep in mind is that we're not under the law, we're not under its condemnation, we're not under its restrictions, because we have died to that law. And when you die, you are no longer accountable to that law. That's the point. The law will never be brought up to us again. We are justified by faith. Uh, we aren't going to ever be condemned for our disobedience to the law, to the Ten Commandments, to lying, to stealing, to cheating. That's history for us. That's been done away with. And all the condemnation that's associated with it, it's gone. Because we have moved from a relationship to the law to a relationship of grace. And now we're in this new relationship to Jesus Christ. So the question is, because sin is no longer held against me, because I'm not going to be judged because I lie or cheat or steal, does that mean, well then, let's just lie, cheat, and steal? No. Because you've been married to Christ. And by grace... He has delivered you from all of that unhappiness. That was an unhappy marriage. You don't want to be in that state. That enslaved you. That was last week's message. That held you in bondage. But now, in Christ, you are free to live righteously. You are free to live better. There is nothing good about telling lies. There is nothing good about cheating. That doesn't produce life. It produces death. That's miserable. That's filled with hardship and heartache. You don't want that. And by the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit who sheds abroad the love in our hearts, we looked at that two weeks ago, this Holy Spirit is creating love now in our hearts for Jesus Christ. And we want to be faithful to him. We want to honor him. We want him to be pleased with us. We delight in him. And so we don't want anything to do that's going to undermine or hinder this relationship with Jesus Christ. And so now it's not the outward code, but it's the inner heart of love that causes us to seek to be obedient, faithful, honorable in this new marriage to Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll talk more about these passions and how they're stirred up. But today, let us rejoice 
in this new relationship that we have to Jesus Christ. And in that new relationship, free to love and to serve him in this new relationship in which now there has been created this love in our hearts for him and a desire to serve him. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would help us to honor and uh, truly uh, desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. May we understand what a blessing it is to be free from the law and now to be united to Jesus Christ. Uh, whereas we were under law, now we are under grace. All who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But if we haven't placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're still under the law. It still condemns. Uh, it still reveals our sinfulness. It still reveals our unfaithfulness. So, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would believe in him and him alone as the source of eternal life. And having this new relationship to Christ, Lord, may it create us in us a love for righteousness, a, a desire to promote uh, your honor, your glory, uh, a desire to be faithful to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.